and that you would open our minds and our lives to the hope that you want to instill in us today. We look to you now, God. Draw us close in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we've had a busy couple of weeks as a church family, have we not? Our confirmation class gathered last Wednesday to celebrate the Seder meal that Jesus and his disciples celebrated on the night before he was arrested. And then on Thursday evening of last week, we gathered to observe the events leading up to the cross in one of maybe the most moving and powerful Maudie Thursday services I have ever had the privilege to attend. On Friday, we came together and we read the scriptures and we sang songs of the time that our Lord spent on the cross. And then on Sunday of last week, with great joy and anticipation, we gathered here to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus from the grave. It was a beautiful time church family, of being reminded that our hope, our hope in this world is rightly placed in our Lord Jesus because he has risen. This is when you say he has risen indeed. indeed. Good job. Good job. Oh, over the Lenten season leading up to the events of last week, we spent time as a church family looking at all of those people who were witness to the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. We looked at Simon of Cyrene. We looked at the two criminals, the Roman centurion. We looked at the women at the cross and the beloved disciple. And we sought throughout those weeks to understand what we could learn for, from, for our lives from the witness that they gave us at the cross, from the people who lived back then. And today, I want to continue on in that, and I want to look at two more believers who were witness to the events of that week. They are the two disciples who made the trip to Jerusalem that week, and I think they have a thing or two that they can share with you and me today. So these followers came from the town of Emmaus to Jerusalem. And the reason they did that is because they had heard the stories of Jesus of Nazareth. And they, like the other Jewish people, had hoped for a mighty savior who was going to deliver them from the oppression of the Roman Empire, of the Roman rule. They had hoped... For someone to release them from all the rigid religious rules that they were necessitated to follow in order to gain the favor of God's people and of God. And they thought that Jesus was going to be that mighty savior. And so as he rode into town a few days prior on the cult of a donkey, all the people cheered and all the people waved their palms because they believed on that day that their hope had arrived. Their hope was coming into town. And they greeted him. We studied it with shouts of Hosanna. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The crowd and those disciples from Emmaus believed that God had sent Jesus in order to deliver them from their misery. But then the tide turned and the attitude of the crowd changed when it did. As they witnessed Jesus be arrested by, and beaten by the rulers, they wondered how. How then is he going to be the one to deliver us from the Romans? 
They watched as he remained silent while he was being mocked and paraded through town with the beam of a cross on his back. And they thought, surely this, this isn't him. This isn't the great warrior for whom we had hoped. And they saw him nailed to a cross. And they saw him mocked, only to hear him pray for the people who were mocking him in the first place. Where was the fight? Where was the might that they had expected? This supposed saving one had just literally laid down his life and let the Romans take it from him. They saw as his body was taken from the cross and it was buried in a rich man's tomb. And even as it all happened, their great dreams of a, of a deliverer were being dashed. And their hope, they thought, was gone. A few of the women and disciples had gone to the tomb and found it empty and word began to spread that he had risen. But it's hard to believe that sort of thing. How were they supposed to believe that? And that's where our scripture picks up this morning. With two disciples heading back from Jerusalem toward the town of Emmaus, seven miles away. They had hoped, but their hope was lost. As these two were leaving Jerusalem, Luke tells us that their faces were downcast. They were just broken. These disciples were broken, they were destroyed, they were drained, they were disenchanted. They had not found in Jerusalem what they had expected to find when they walked all the way there from the town of Emmaus. And Luke says that Jesus joined them as they walked, but they were kept from recognizing him. Now the Lord, still not recognized by them, asked them what they were talking about as they walked. And they said, you must be the only guy in Jerusalem who doesn't know about the events of Jesus of Nazareth. We had hoped he would be the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped he would be the answer to our problems. They had hoped that he would change their lives. They had hoped that he would make their world different, but he was dead now. And so was their hope, frankly. Their hope was dead too. And so these followers of Jesus found themselves moved from a place of hope to a place of despair and of defeat and of discouragement. I want you to think about that for a minute. These travelers had walked all the way to Jerusalem because they heard that in Jerusalem, God was going to make their lives better. In Jerusalem was the prospect of goodness, was flourishing. In Jerusalem, they thought they would find well-being. In Jerusalem would be the life that they had dreamed of. But despite all of those hopes, all they found in Jerusalem was disappointment. In Jerusalem, their hope was extinguished. Let me just stop right there. And ask you if you have ever experienced a Jerusalem in your life. Now I'm not talking about Jerusalem as a geographical place. I'm metaphorically speaking. <laughs> 
Did you ever find yourself heading to a place where you expected to find happiness? A place where you expected to find well-being? Wherein you knew everything was going to be all right? A place where you felt like your life was full of hope? A place where you thought your dreams were going to be realized? And then maybe all that was not realized and all you got was disappointment. Have you ever had that happen? I'm going to tell you, if you ever placed your hope in the happiness of a job only to lose that job, you know all about Jerusalem. If you've ever had aspirations for a relationship that you were involved in only to have that relationship crumble beneath your feet, you know all about Jerusalem. If you've ever had a plan for your future, only to be disappointed. If you've ever felt as though you need to just turn from your situation and be anywhere else besides where you are right now, then my friend, I'm telling you, you know all about Jerusalem. We have all experienced Jerusalem. I know that place all too well. And when I'm in it, all I want to do is be somewhere else. All I want to do is get back to someplace that's more Emmaus, more familiar, more hopeful, more like home, more comforting and less disappointing. When my hopes are dashed, I just long for the familiar. And so it's Easter morning and these disciples are leaving Jerusalem and they're headed toward their home in Emmaus. They're headed toward a place where they feel as though they might find the comfort they so desperately need. A place that they knew of before their hope was lost. And Jesus walks with them. I like that, church family. When you and I are walking through a place of disappointment, when we find ourselves trapped in a place of our hopelessness, our risen Jesus walks right alongside of us. I wonder if you've ever sensed his presence right there beside you during the most difficult times of your life. The problem is, like those disciples, sometimes we just don't realize that it is in fact Jesus who is walking with us. Now it seems pretty strange to me, does it to you, that these guys didn't recognize Jesus. How did they not recognize someone they had followed for so long? Luke tells us they were kept. These disciples were kept from recognizing Jesus. And why is that? I wonder. Why didn't Jesus say to those two guys something like he said to Thomas? Well, here, put your fingers in my side so you can know that it's really me. He didn't do that. He didn't do that. Instead, he gave him a three-hour-long long scripture lesson. Why? Why did Jesus do it like that? Here's what I think. I believe that Jesus took the time to help those disciples to deal with, to navigate through their sense of hopelessness, so that you and I could know and understand how to deal and navigate through ours. 
A belief that what Jesus did for those two believers on the road to Emmaus was recorded by Luke for our encouragement and for our hope. A belief that the things Jesus did for these two men were tools that God wants to give you and me for times when we feel hopeless and discouraged. So Jesus taught them. And in doing so, he has taught you and me how to deal with the breakup, how to handle the financial hardship, how to, how to navigate the deteriorating health and the disobedient kids and the unmet expectations. And I love it. I love Jesus for doing that for us. Because one of the greatest lessons of this passage is that whenever hope is lost and Jesus Christ is in the picture, hope can be restored. Our hope can be restored. Notice the first thing that Jesus said to these guys. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. Now, I'm thinking that along this road, as he was talking to those disciples, Jesus probably took them through the book of Leviticus. Oh. And he explained how all that Old Testament sacrificial system pointed ahead to the day when the ultimate sacrifice would appear on the scene and give his life once and for all as a ransom for many. And then I'm guessing... That Jesus took them to the ancient prophecy contained in Psalm twenty-two, sixteen, where it says, A band of evil men have encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. A prophecy which they had just seen fulfilled in Jerusalem. And I'll bet Jesus took them to Isaiah 53, 5, which says, The servant of the Lord would be wounded for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. And surely those disciples remembered the crushed and the wounded Jesus. Could it be, could it be that he had allowed that to happen for them, for us? And I'm convinced that Jesus would have taken them to the great prophecy of the resurrection in Psalm 16:10 that says, you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. And even as those disciples heard Jesus unpack the scriptures, they started to have their hope restored. Which is exactly why God gave us his word. Is it not? Romans 15, 4 says this. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. So that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. It's why God gave us his word. The scriptures were written so that you and I might have hope. The Bible is God's tool to change our lives and to give us hope amongst any circumstances. 
And it is a powerful tool. There is power in the pages of the word of God. And if you are not reading it daily, then you are robbing yourself, literally, of the hope that God wants to give you or that God wants to restore in you. I read a really good story about a guy named uh, Eddie Rickenbacker, Captain Eddie Rickenbacker. He and six other men were stranded back in 1942 on a group of small rafts on the Pacific Ocean. They were flying and their jet fighter went down. And so they tied these little rafts together and they drifted on the ocean day after day, hoping that someone would pluck them from the water. They were without food, they were without water. They were tortured by the relentless sun by day and the chilling cold by night and constantly being stalked by sharks. And it seemed impossible to them that they would even survive. These guys, I would say, were hopeless. And one of the men, his name was Private Johnny Bartek, he was a Christian and he always carried with him a little New Testament so that he could have his personal private devotion time with God. And right there in the middle of the Pacific, floating on a raft, Bartek would take a few moments each day to have his daily time with God. And it wasn't very private, but eventually the other six men who were there asked him, like, what are you doing? And he explained to them about his daily Bible reading and prayer, and they asked if they could be included. What better did they have to do, right? Floating on a raft. And so the men started having daily devotions, beginning in the Gospel of Matthew. And when they got to Matthew 6... 31 to 34, life literally changed for them because they read these words that said, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? Your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. And so guess what? That's what they began to pray for. As a group, these men read those verses day after day and a remarkable series of miracles started happening. Just when they were near starvation, a bird landed on Rickenbacker's head. And they were able to grab it, carve it up, and use it for food. They used the insides as fishing bait. And just when they thought they would die of thirst, a rain cloud came over and filled their raft with water. And they kept on reading those verses, and they kept on praying, and they kept on claiming the promises of God from his word. And somehow God sent what they needed. For 21 days, floating and clinging onto the hope that God had given them from the scriptures, they survived in the Pacific Ocean. Lieutenant James Whitaker, one of the men, wrote, I don't think there was a man among us who didn't thank God for that little khaki-covered book. It led us to prayer, and prayer led us to safety. Those men found their hope in the pages of the Bible. So Jesus showed these two disciples on the road to Emmaus through God's word that the Messiah would have to be beaten and mocked and hung on a tree and buried and then raised to life again. And he did that through the Old Testament, which is all they had to work with in that day was the Old Testament. But let me tell you, folks, you and I, we have so much more to draw upon. We have so much more to read in order to gain our hope. We have both the Old and the New Testaments. We got the whole shebang, okay? We got the part where Jesus says this, I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. And everyone who believes in me shall never die. 
You and I have the part that says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has called us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Mm -hmm. We got that, friends. Because you and I have all of the scriptures, we can know that our Savior is raised from the dead and that what happened in Jerusalem simply could not be contained in Jerusalem. You and I have hope restored through the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he walks with us through the tough times. And he reminds us through those very scriptures and through his presence in our lives, that our hope is rightfully placed in him. That's the whole reason why we just now as a church could stand together and sing, I serve a risen savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living, whatever men might say. I see his hand of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, where is he? He's always near. He lives. He lives. Our hope, just like the hope of the disciples, is restored because Jesus lives in this world. And he lives in the pages of the word that he has left for us. Do you know what that makes us when we know that? When we know that our hope is in Jesus and in his word left for us, it makes us Easter people. Easter people. What do you think that means? I'm going to tell you what it means to be Easter people. It means that we are a people who have been brought from despair into hope. It means that we are a people who were once condemned, but who are now forgiven. It means that we are a people who have been transferred from darkness to light, from death to life, from lost to found. We were far off and now we have been brought close. Our guilt has been turned to innocence. We were alone and now we have the company of a savior. We were orphaned and now we are one of the family. We are the family, Mount Hope, of Easter people who don't have to stay where we are but can walk to where Jesus calls us to be and not only do we walk there but he walks beside us and i want us never to forget church family that the whole reason that you and i are able to walk from a place of despair to a place of hope is because jesus walked first jesus walked first he walked the road toward jerusalem for us so he could walk the road to Emmaus with us. And so if you're in a place where you're feeling hopeless, get into the word of God. Call upon the scriptures and be reminded that we have a living hope. You can move from a place of despair to a place of comfort and Jesus will walk alongside but the story doesn't end there, friends, because hope lost and then restored must become hope that is shared. Luke goes on to tell us 
What happened with those disciples? They loved their Bible study with Jesus so much that they invited this fellow or traveler to stay with them and share a meal. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them. And their eyes were opened. And finally they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. And they said to one another, were not our hearts burning, burning within our chest when he talked to us? on the road, and when he opened up the scriptures to us. Friends, Jesus does that. He sets our hearts on fire that they might burn inside of us. We can know him through his presence. We can know him through the scriptures and through the sharing of the sacraments. And Luke goes on to say this, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem where they found the 11 and those with him assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. They did not keep it to themselves. They didn't keep it to themselves, but they went back and they shared the good news of what Jesus had done. And that, my friends, is what you and I are called to do as well. First, we need to meet with Jesus. And then we need to share all he has done in our lives with everyone whom we meet. We all need to tell our story. Because the story of you is the story of Jesus when you have invited him into your life. And so if you're still stuck in Jerusalem and you're still feeling that despair, despair, look for his presence. Look in his word. Let him restore your hope. And then go ahead and share that with the world. The world needs to know that we who follow Jesus also have times of despair, but we have a savior who's right there. I can tell you I recently had a time of Jerusalem in my life, a Jerusalem experience. And the only thing that got me through is my hope in the work and in the word of and in the company of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And I just want to remind you that it's all testimony, the whole story, the good, the bad, and everything along the way. It's the story that you've got to share with the world. It's a story that's going to help the world see Jesus. You and I are called to walk together on this road of life. And as followers of Christ, we're called to come alongside of those in need as Jesus did. And as Jesus continues to do, we're called to do that on behalf of him. Because all throughout this world... Hope can be lost, but it can surely be restored through the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when that hope is restored, it's got to be shared. So get out there, Easter people, and share the hope. Amen. At this time.